This week's scripture is from the book of Exodus, chapter 32. The people saw that Moses was taking a long time to come down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come on, make us gods who can lead us. As for this man Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't have a clue what has happened to him. Aaron said to them, All right, take out the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took out the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He collected them and tied them up in a cloth. Then he made a metal image of a bull calf, and the people declared, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. Then Aaron announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. They got up early the next day and offered up entirely burned offerings and brought well-being sacrifices. The people sat down to eat and drink and then got up to celebrate. The Lord spoke to Moses, Hurry up and go down. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, are ruining everything. They've already abandoned the path that I commanded. They have made a metal bull for themselves. They bowed down to it and offered sacrifices to it and declared, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I've been watching these people, and I've seen how stubborn they are. Now leave me alone. Let my fury burn and devour them. Then I'll make a great nation out of you. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God. Lord, why does your fury burn against your own people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and amazing force? Why should the Egyptians say he had an evil plan to take the people out and kill them in the mountains, and so wipe them off the earth. Calm down your fierce anger. Change your mind about doing terrible things to your own people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you yourself promised, I will make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky, and I promise to give your descendants this whole land to possess for all time. Then the Lord changed his mind about the terrible things he said he would do to his people. For those who may not know, I currently live in Tokyo, Japan. I've been here almost three years now. I arrived at, uh, December 1st of 2017. And one of the things I find so interesting about Japan is that religion and maybe superstition are everywhere here, and yet people are generally not religious. They don't consider themselves to be religious. The two primary religions of Japan are Shinto and Buddhism. Buddhism was imported from China 
having come originally from India. But Shinto is the original animistic religion of Japan. Probably a long time ago, the people had a very uh, similar religion to what many cultures all over the world had. A polytheistic, uh, animistic, meaning um, that trees and animals and um, stones and lakes and everything, everything in the world could possibly be a deity. They probably had a religion like this, like most of the world, um, especially in the, uh, you know, in the Stone Age and Iron Age. But then at some point, this religion began to kind of crystallize and, and come together uh, throughout the country. And now that group of beliefs is called Shinto. And I am by no means um, any, any kind of scholar of Shinto or, or expert in Shinto. And so everything I say, please take um, with a grain of salt, because I am certainly not a Shinto practitioner myself. But generally speaking, when I've talked to Japanese people, they won't really identify as religious in the same way that we think of in the West as religious. But but they do often go to the Buddhist uh, to the Buddhist uh, uh, temples and to the Shinto shrines. And they're everywhere. Uh, there are Shinto shrines everywhere, and it's very common. For example, when you're walking to work to stop at a shrine along the way and offer a prayer for a good day and then continue on. And it's very common when you offer a prayer that you, you provide some kind of offering at the same time, usually a monetary offering, usually a five yen coin, which uh, is about five cents US, maybe a little less than that. but sometimes other things. So uh, Shinto and Buddhism have become very closely intertwined in Japan over the years. And one of the things that you often see along the side of the road, for example, is a statue of Jizo. Jizo is a, a Buddhist bodhisattva um, who is uh, the, takes care of travelers, among, among many other things, takes care of travelers. And so you see them on the roads uh, all over Japan. And a lot of times people will leave flowers or uh, food or um, water for Jizo as they, as they go along their way. And so what you see is a, on the side of the road, there'll be a little shrine, not even, you know, not even five feet tall usually, uh, either of wood or of stone, a little archway. And then underneath it will be a statue of Jizo. And the statue may be dressed up and the statue may have some food or some water or some flowers um, or sometimes a money collection box and some money. But with Jizo, it's not normally, there's not normally a monetary thing. Usually it's, it's things, food and water or whatever. And usually the community in the area work together to maintain the shrine and to clean it and um, all that kind of thing. It's a really interesting phenomenon coming from uh, the U.S. where we don't really have anything like that. So even though the Japanese people will normally say that they're not very religious, they'll still take part in these traditions all the time. And 
uh, for example, on the on New Year's Eve, uh, they go to the shrine, to Shinto shrine usually, um, for the first shrine visit of the year. And so when the when it when it rings midnight, um, the shrine opens the doors and people come in to, to give their first shrine visit of the year. But one of the most interesting things I think is the the kami in the Shinto shrine. So kami is a Japanese word that means God. Um, the kami, the the Shinto priests believe that the, the kami reside within the shrine. And they have events throughout the year where they have these small shrines, smaller shrines. Because the shrine, uh, Shinto shrines, like actual shrines, are big, big buildings. Right? Uh, very traditional looking uh, buildings, usually. Um, they have these... They have these smaller shrines called mikoshi. Mikoshi are, uh, they, they vary in size, but you can imagine they're, they are anywhere from the size of like a small table to maybe the size of a small car. And uh, they're shrines made, made of wood and metal. And they have poles that run through them and the people carry them. And they weigh many hundreds of pounds uh, usually. And you take a group of people uh, sometimes 20, 30 people to carry these these shrines. And it's a big procession. So they, they'll take the, the shrine, the Mikoshi, and they take it up to the main shrine, and the priest will perform a ritual to move the kami from the main shrine into the Mikoshi. And then they will parade the kami around the area in the in the, the Mikoshi. And that's the, the point of the Mikoshi, is to parade the kami around. And the reason for it varies. Sometimes they're they're blessing all of the, the houses in the area, or sometimes it's for some kind of festival. It really depends. And then they end up, at the end, they end up back at the main shrine, and they transfer it back. It's a big thing. But all of this, all of this uh, focus on, on statues, on shrines, uh, is very different from the kind of Christian... Uh, communal understanding that I had in the U.S. growing up, and it uh, was a very different experience to be here. And uh, one of the things I love to do is to to go to these events. I love to go to these events. I, I always do a uh, the first shrine visit of the year, and I always I always go to the to the parades when I can to watch the Nikoshi, uh, and I always stop and say a little prayer when I pass the Jizo statues. And it's not because I think. That Jizo is that that Jizo statue is a god, and that I am I'm praying to that god. When I when I give my prayers, I give my prayers to God. But it's part of the culture here, and so by by participating in the culture, I learn a lot more about what it means to live here. So let's talk about today's reading. The reading today was from Exodus. Now the last story we had was about the Passover, and um, after the Passover, Moses and Aaron uh, take the the Israelite people out of Egypt, and he parts the Red Sea, and the uh, the Israelite army, or the Israelite people go through, go through the, on dry land, and then the Egyptians come through after, and the, and, uh, the sea closes down around them and destroys the Egyptians and the Israelites are able to escape. And they travel through the desert for about a month until they arrive at Mount Sinai. And the whole time they complain. They complain that 
there's no food, they complain that there's no water, that Moses has just brought them out into the desert to die. They just complain all the time. So Moses gets out here and, and God appears to the on, on Mount Sinai and the people hear God give what we have come to, to call the Ten Commandments. Uh, really, uh, the name Ten Commandments is not in the book anywhere. And um, the words in this section, the, the, the commandments, do not exactly match the list of commandments in, uh, in chapter 20 or in the parallel passage in, in Deuteronomy that are in theory all the same list, and yet they're, they're different. They're slightly different. So when someone says the Ten Commandments, you really have to ask them which place they're talking about. But, I mean, they're general, like, they're, the, the main points are the same, right? And so uh, so God gives these commandments to, um, to the people, and then he tells Moses to go up onto the mountain. And Moses goes up onto the mountain by himself. No one else is allowed to come with him. He goes up onto the mountain, mountain and he's gone for 40 days. And in this time, uh, he's given information by God about all kinds of things about how to build the the tabernacle which will be a a a temple a mobile temple basically for for worshiping god how to build all of the furniture that goes in the tabernacle how to build all of the all of the the things required for worship how to to choose the priests and how to how to ordain the priests um, for worship and what they should wear it's a long long list of stuff and it's given in, in very minute detail the, the tabernacle shall be this long and this tall and shall be made of this material. I mean, very specific details. And so he's gone for 40 days um, learning all this, this information. And he, he, has, uh, he comes back with these two tablets of stone on which God has written directly uh, the covenant. The, uh, assuming, uh, we, we assume these same commandments that God gave at the beginning. But anyway, he's up there for 40 days. And in the meantime, the people are, are just, don't, they're, they're just, they're just given up. And they've been complaining this whole time. Now they're like, what's going on? Where is this Moses? And they, they, they go to Aaron, who's still in the camp. And they say, they say to us, as for this man, Moses, meaning that this, who, this guy, as for this man, Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't have a clue what happened to him. We, where, we don't know where he is. So they say, so you, you need to give us some gods to worship, like, you're you're in charge here, Aaron. Give us give us some gods to worship. And so Aaron kind of begrudgingly like, okay, well, give me your your gold earrings. And and maybe Aaron was trying to kind of get out of it. Maybe he thought they wouldn't actually give his gold their gold earrings. I don't know. But they, he needed something to make the thing out of. And so they give him the gold earrings, and he creates this golden calf, which the golden calf is, of course, a, a very famous um, image in kind of biblical history and in Western civilization. Um, one of my one of my favorite movies uh, when I was younger was Dogma, and um, there's there's actually which is a you know uh, kind of a, a parody about about Christian dogma, and and one of the things they have is a is a a burger chain with a the symbol of the burger chain is a, is a literal golden calf, which is really funny. But anyway, he makes this calf, and they and they go here this you know this calf is is our god let's let's worship it and they worship it and 
and they they have a party and the the wording in the original text um, kind of suggests that it's maybe more than a party maybe more of an orgy than a party and so um they're they're partying and partying and god tells moses you better get down there because they have they've already it's only been 40 days and they've already created a set of you know a set of gods of their own they've already given up on what i've I've done you know what i'm just going to destroy them and i'm going to make uh i'm going to make a new people from you and and you you know your your descendants can be my people and moses goes goes to god and says no you know if it please don't do this. If you do this, you know, the Egyptians are going to say that you just brought them out of Egypt so you could kill them in the wilderness. And that wouldn't be a very good thing for you to do. And, you know, what will the people say? And, and you know, plus don't forget, you, you told Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that their children would, would be your, your people. And so God kind of relents and says, okay, I won't do it. And the next scene after this, it isn't in our reading, um, Moses goes down and when he and when he sees the orgy going on and everything he throws the tablets to the ground and shatters them into pieces. And then he gets really angry at the people and he asks Aaron what happened and Aaron's response is something along the lines of oh I don't know like the people wanted golden calves and and this this calf I mean, wanted a, wanted gods and this golden calf just came out of the fire all by itself. Um it's it's actually quite a funny quite a funny uh story and and so then uh moses orders uh try gets the the levites to come up the tribe of levi because they're they're very zealous and he tells them to go and and murder a bunch of people goes they go and they kill a bunch of people um for having done this horrible thing and they kill some number of people i don't i don't think the text actually tells us how many so that the rest may live as an offering so that the rest may live um, which is when the story turns quite, uh, quite dark, <laughs> I guess. So what's interesting is that in the, in the 10 commandments, just before this scene, you know, 40 days before the very first thing that God says is, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You must have no other gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself no form whatsoever of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. So this is what they've, what they've broken. And, you know, basically God forbids his people from worshiping an object that they have created. This was a really common thing uh, in the time that the story takes place in in that part of the world, in all parts of the world, really. But in that part of the world, in, in Egypt, where they had come from, in in kind of what we might call Mesopotamia, in that area where they, where they were, it was very common to have uh, an idol, a statue of some kind, that you worshipped as if it were the god that you were worshipping. Uh, not simply an image of the god, but you treated it as if it was the god itself. In fact, in the story of Joseph and his brothers, uh, the part of the part we didn't read when when they when he when Joseph sends away his brothers uh, with uh, with uh, Benjamin uh, no 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 I'm sorry I'm I'm getting confused when he sends them away he puts a golden cup in their thing there's another there's another, there's another case where when they when they leave um, uh, I think it oh I remember now I'm sorry it's when it's when 
think it's when Sarah, Sarah, Abraham and Sarah. Anyway, the point is, there's a, there's a, there's a point where they steal somebody's, somebody's um, home gods, which, which were people would have these small statues, these idols in their homes that they would worship. And so there's, there's a story earlier on where they steal the, the, the home gods. And I'm getting confused and I apologize. But the point is, this was a really common thing. And there's been archaeological digs done in the area and some of the oldest uh, towns that long predate uh, the time of, of the Exodus, um, you know, I, uh, Stone Age, Stone Age settlements have um, idols in them of uh, cows and calves and, and, and bulls. This was really, th this was a really common uh, uh, thing to use as a representation of a deity. And so it's not, it's not surprising that Aaron decides to create uh, a calf, a, a cow, a bull, right? Um, so what is interesting uh, is that this happens again later on in Israel's history. So if we look, I'm, I'm going to show you now a reading from 1 Kings, which takes place a lot, much later. So uh, at some point, there becomes the United Kingdom of, of Israel. And the United Kingdom of Israel is ruled first by David, and then later by uh, David's son Solomon. And then after Solomon dies, there's a civil war, and the kingdom is split into two parts: uh, Israel in the north, and Judah in the south. And in Judah, and Judah is where Jerusalem and Bethlehem are. And in Judah, uh, Solomon's son um, Rehoboam can, uh, continues to rule. But in the northern part, uh, another ruler named Jeroboam, who is not one of Solomon's sons, uh, is crowned king. Right, so let's look at this, this reading right after that. Jeroboam fortified Shechem at Mount Ephraim and lived there. So Shechem is a city in, in Israel, the northern kingdom. From there, he also fortified Penuel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom is in danger of reverting to the house of David, Solomon and David, okay, then Solomon's son, the house of David. If these people continue to sacrifice at the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, they will again become loyal to their master Rehoboam, Solomon's son, Judah's king, and they will kill me so they can return to Judah's king, Rehoboam. So the king asked for advice and then made two gold calves. He said to the people, It's too far for you to go all the way to, up to Jerusalem. Look, Israel, here are your gods who brought you out from the land of Egypt. Notice, this is almost the exact same phrasing we saw in that reading from Exodus. Look, Israel, here are your gods who brought you out, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He put one calf in Bethel, and the other he placed in Dan. And those two towns, Bethel and Dan, became places that people would, would travel to to worship if they were from the northern kingdom. So we see this repeated, this repeated um, symbolism of the, the golden calf. When the Christians, the early Christians, um, started to, to worship, they were doing it amidst the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire also, of course, had idol worship. They had statues of the Roman gods from the, the Roman pantheon, and they would worship these statues as if they were the actual god, right? This is the important bit. It's, you're worshiping the statue as if it was the actual god. 
and they would leave food offerings for these statues and things. And early on, there was a question about whether it was okay for a Christian to eat the food that had been offered to the idol, uh, knowing that, that they that worshiping the idol itself was not okay, but was it okay to eat the food that had been that had been um, left you know, for the idol? And Paul talks about this in, in several places. Um, basically, he says that it's fine as long as the person who is doing the eating understands that the idol is nothing. The idol is just a statue and not, not an actual god. And it's fine to eat the food. It's just food. The food's not going to hurt you. It's not going to make you any better either. But he says, if by doing that, you give the impression to other people that you might think that the idol is a real god, if they don't know better, in other words, then they might go astray. They might think, oh, it's okay to have to, to worship these idols because look, you know, John eats the food given to the idols, so he must also believe in the idols and worship the idols. Therefore, it's okay for me to do it. And so Paul says, if you do this, then this is bad. And so it's better to not eat the food if it's going to be a problem for others. But the actual eating of the food is not a problem in and of itself. So this was a, a problem that that continued. And and even then, in the, uh, the 16th century, uh, 15th, 15th century, sorry, during the, the Protestant Reformation, the, the early reformers had a problem with this too. It was very common in uh, Roman Catholic churches to have statues to, uh, to for, for, for Jesus, but also to the Virgin Mary and to um, to uh, the Holy Family and to saints and all kinds of things. And the Protestant reformers believed that this was uh, idolatry, that, that the people were worshiping the, you know, for example, the, the statue of Mary as if Mary were a god or goddess. And so they they banned statues um, from and images too from the early Protestant churches because because of this. In the uh, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, you have um, icons which are very fancy paintings of, of various figures that are involved in the worship service. But and those things continue to today in the Roman Catholic Church and in the Orthodox Church. But really, I mean, the the problem isn't in the, the statues themselves. It's what Paul was talking about, where if people think that, you know, that it's okay to worship them as if they were God, then there's a problem. So um, right understanding makes them, you know, not really an issue anymore. And, and, and I mean, most Protestant churches today have have images of Jesus somewhere in the in their churches, you know. Um, so we've gotten a lot more lax on this. But personally, I think that statues and images and icons are good things because they they allow the worshiper to focus uh, on the image while worshiping. But it's important to not actually worship the statue. I mean, that, that's the thing, right? Like, don't, don't think the statue is God, you know? Um, anyway. So how does this kind of affect us today? is is the uh the, the important but how how does it um affect us today so i think in modern times we have lots of idols there there are lots of idols in our lives that we 
can fall into the trap of worshiping instead of God. And I think that, especially in the United States, the Christian church has grown too attached to things, to certain things, and they have become idols for them. And the same in the American the American society in general, but in also in the societies of other countries in the world. For example, for many people all over the world, money is the most important thing in their lives. If you ask them what they're, you know, what they're, what they were doing every day, why they were working, why they were doing what they were, they were doing, they would tell you that it's in the pursuit of money. They need money. They need to be able to pay their rent. They need to be able to buy food. And our society has made money so important by not providing basic uh, frameworks to protect people who don't who are on falling on hard times, right? And we have some of this in place in various countries, of course, to have different different things. But it's possible that, that we can make money more important to us than God. And then in that case, money becomes an idol to us. The pursuit of money becomes a thing that we seek for every day. Likewise, for in many countries of the world, uh, work may be an idol. Here in Japan, there's a work ethic that uh, often requires people to be at work from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. to 10 p.m. in a day. Um, you know, there are places where when people go to, they're expected to be at work at eight and they're not expected to leave until their boss after their boss leaves and so if their boss doesn't leave until really late they have to sit at their desks even if they're not doing anything just twiddling their thumb they're pretending to be busy they have this culture of work like that and of course not everywhere but in some places it's the same in the u.s in a way we have this culture of work we can put our work in, in front of our families in front of our communities in front of our church life in front of our, our personal spiritual life Put work in front of our connection to God, and then, and then work becomes an idol to us—a thing that we hold up as the the uh, the reason for being. We have to remember that God is the reason for being, and building a relationship with God, and doing God's work in the world, and, and loving our neighbor, is our reason for being, not money or work. Another thing can be nationalism. We saw this. Uh, in the 1930s, especially in the rise in fascism, we saw that nationalism began to become more important to people than than God. And we see, I think we see it now in, in several places in the world where nationalism, a belief in the fact that one's nation is better than all other nations, um, has has become something that can be for some people an idol, a thing that they hold up, a thing that they're willing to put God aside for, the thing they're willing to put in between them and God. Another thing is racism. The idea that that one group of people is superior to all others, or that one group of people is inferior to all others, these ideas can become an idol. They can become a thing that we're so attached to that we allow ourselves 
to be led astray. And I would argue that, of course, racism is bad no matter what. But I mean, for some people, it becomes a thing that they, you know, they, they can call themselves a Christian and yet they could burn a cross on someone's lawn. Those those two things are just just don't go together. And so they've lost sight of what it means to be a Christian when they've, they've come to that point. Likewise, things like homophobia, things like um, what we what they often call pro-life in the U.S. the the idea of the unborn unborn children can become an idol if you put it above your service to one another and to to God if you put it above the well-being of people um, the feeding of people the, the caring of people if you're willing to make a compromise with uh, between you know outlawing, uh, outlawing gay marriage and you know allowing uh, uh, allowing people to be sick and die, for example, if you say well it's okay for them to be sick and die because we were able to outlaw gay marriage, then you've put you've put gay marriage above God because God would want you to take care of those people. Um, the same can be said about many things. In the U.S. especially, I think guns have become an idol for many people. They've put, the, they've put their desire to, to have firearms above the well-being of the fellow, their fellow person. Um, and I'm not saying that, that guns should be, uh, should be banned in the U.S. or anything. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that everything should be put in the perspective first of what does honor to God. Um, and I guess finally, I'd, I'd say, you know, I think for many in the West, individualism has also become a kind of an idol. When we think about ourselves first and we don't care about others, when we, when we put the, the good of ourselves and those people who are like us ahead of the good of others, ahead of the people who are hurting, who, who, are, who are imprisoned, who are poor, who are hungry, we become like those people who passed by the robbed man on the highway until the Samaritan came by and, and took care of him, the story of the Good Samaritan. We become those people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious people, the people of, of, from, from of, uh, the religious order who had passed by the person who was hurting so that they could get on their way because they didn't want to bother with that person. When we put individualism above the good of the community, we have put our individualism, our own desires, above God's desire for us that we do good in the world and that we take care of our neighbor and we love one another. I see this especially in these situations with coronavirus and, and this mask wearing thing in the U.S. where people people have protests where they don't want to wear a mask and and they go they go into businesses that have labeled that they need to wear a mask in the business and they yell take their mask off or they don't have a mask at all and they yell at the people in the in the building because they've you know their their own interests have been infringed upon but they aren't thinking about the good of the community as a whole this is how individualism can be an idol in our lives i think and yet, the other half of this message of the golden calf 
is forgiveness. God is angry and, and God threatens to wipe out the people and start over again. But Moses intercedes. Moses intercedes for the people. And Moses' inter intercession, Moses' request to spare the people, convinces God not to go through with it. And later to, to forgive the people. And this is important because God does forgive us. We all sin. We all make mistakes. We all turn away from God. We all put something else between us and God from time to time. But the important part is that we reflect and we come to realize that we've done it and we repent. Repent meaning literally to turn around. We face back to God. We ask for forgiveness and God will forgive us. And then we make it better. We correct whatever our mistake was in our relationships with one another so that it doesn't happen again. And if it does happen again, we recognize it and we repent and we ask for forgiveness again and we try to make it so we don't do it a third time and so on. Just asking for forgiveness is not enough. It must also entail repentance, a changing of your ways, a turning back towards God. But when you do that, God will forgive you. God loves you. So as you go out into the world this week, I want you to pay close attention to those things that you have made into idols in your life. What are the things that you have put above God? What are the things that you have put above God's desire for you? God's desire that you help your fellow person. God's desire that you make the world a better place. God's desire that you continue to grow and build a relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. Amen.